Do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? is Appetite for Distortion. Mike Squires with the intro. Yeah. Ride those levels. Maybe next time I won't ruin the uh, the solo by talking over it and just let it ride out. I'm getting a feel for it. This is the, the third episode with... Uh, I believe the third or fourth episode with our new uh, intro, Mike Squires from, of course, uh, Duff McKagan's Loaded. And welcome to the podcast. Yes, uh, Appetite for Distortion, episode 57. Uh, yes, and if you didn't know, the, the Heinz ketchup, if you, if you have trouble getting it out, you have to hit the 57, and that's how it gets out. I don't know why that was important to share, but that was my weird and awkward segues that I usually have at every episode. Hey, eh? uh, Remco, who we're on the phone with, uh, Remco, our co-host for this episode from the Netherlands. What's going on, my friend? Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I was just rocking uh, on Mike's, uh, on Squire, sorry. Uh, solo, wow! It's a very, very good uh, intro uh, tune. Yeah, it's it's just so cool. That's I, something I never expected to do. All fifty-seven episodes of talking about GNR to one day have a member of Loaded write yeah. my introduction. You know, that's like it, that's just for us, you know, to enjoy. So uh, that's pretty awesome. So again, yeah, welcome to the podcast. Coming up in just a few minutes, our guest, uh, in addition to Remco, of course, will be speaking with uh, Chip Zanuff, which is going to be pretty amazing. And I know you're a big fan, Remco. That's why, you know, uh, I invited you on. I always po- uh, put out there when we announce a guest, you know, if you have any questions, you know, leave them on Facebook, leave them on Twitter. Some of you inbox me, and you were inboxing me a lot. You know, you were showing me, you know, the album covers of, of his solo record, Strange Time. And you're like, oh, ask him about Steven Adler, ask him about Slash and all this. And I'm like, you know what? How about, come on, because you, you come on the show. Because you've inboxed me a lot when you have a great Instagram page with hopefully uh, GNR fans are already following. So I'm like, you know what? This seems like a really knowledgeable uh, GNR fan. So uh, yeah. I appreciate you, you know, you taking the time because I know you had a little uh, boo-boo with your daughter beforehand. So I'm glad she's doing uh, she's doing okay. Yeah, she's doing fine. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, um, and thank you for uh, inviting me here because I did inbox you a lot. I actually didn't uh, um, listen from episode one on. I, I started to um, uh, to listen to your uh, podcast in, I think, uh, 2018, somewhere in uh, January. I can't remember the first one, but... Um, yeah, it's the positive vibe and the 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 the, the energy that uh, that kept me uh, listening. So it's uh, it's a pleasure, and it's a pleasure to hear that because that, those are kind of like the comments. And so you know, I'm not making it up. Now you have a fan live and in person. Well, not in person, but saying that you know you find me later on. It's like I don't expect everyone to have listened from day one. Of course, we're getting new followers. It seems like every day and and every new episode because we each, with each. Uh, guest comes like with a, a new uh, spider web, a new GNR six degrees of Kevin Bacon kind of thing. Uh, so there's always a new adventure with each uh, episode, which is pretty uh, amazing. But uh, before we get into shotgun news, because I want you to give a plug for your Instagram, because you post some pretty uh, cool stuff, some rare stuff. It's it's just my uh, 
my, my own collection of the Guns N' Roses stuff or Guns N' Roses related stuff or uh, here and there a picture I took at uh, one of the shows um, uh, last year but also uh, years ag- from years ago. And uh, I actually the last picture I uh, took, the last, last photo, was um, uh, a couple of Izzy uh, Stradlin's um, solo records he put out only uh, <clears throat> online. But I, uh, um, he, every time he put it uh, online, uh, there was this, um, he sent out a, a picture or a cover a photo um, for it uh, to fans or a fan board to chop away or be in a fix um, um, uh, forums. And I took those pics, pictures and um, turned them in my own uh, CDs because I still like to have those hard copy ones. And... Um, you know, I started this Instagram account just for fun uh, a little bit over a year ago. And um, yeah, it's still a lot of fun. I still post daily and uh, I've been a fan since uh, my first single I, uh, in 1991. I got uh, uh, Don't Cry. And uh, yeah, and the, the, the very first moment I heard about guns was... Uh, my dad uh, watching uh, the movie The Deadpool, and I heard uh, Welcome to the Jungle, and I saw that uh, Jim Carrey scene in it, and I was like, "Wow, this this rocks! What what's this?" I guess I didn't, I've I never heard uh, hear anything like that. That's pretty awesome. So uh, I guess with that, I know you're going to have a lot to contribute because uh, with your knowledge, uh, you're going to be a part of, and this is what co-hosting is. You know, in addition to helping me interview Chips enough in a few minutes, uh, you're going to be a part of news. You're a part of my stupid sound clips. Yes. Uh, so uh, first in GNR news, I uh, want to thank uh, AlternativeNation.net. Uh, we are uh, the first podcast featured on Alternative Nation uh, in hopes of building a rock podcast network. Uh, they do some great articles about uh, our episodes. And before we even joined up with them, uh, they would pick us up and transcribe our episodes. So uh, episode 56 featured Ernie C. from Body Count. Awesome episode. I really enjoyed talking to them. And, of course, uh, Catherine Terman from Nights with Alice Cooper was the, the co-host then. And so um, the article was basically about when I asked Ernie what he felt about uh, Axel using the uh, the N-word in, uh, in One Million. And I know it's been out there for a while. Axel has given his point of view. It said it in a character, and I know that. However, as political as Axel is now— and as something as recent as the you know the march against guns, and you would see Duff post about it, you would see Slash post about it, and and you I would still see fans on the generic GNR Facebook pages, you know, saying you guys are you know uh, full of shit, you know what about you know you guys are called Guns and Roses, you know well, what about that song One in a Million, you guys are racist. So there there's still a lot of misconception about there, uh, out there about. You know, Axel and one in a million. So, um, alternativenation.net, they, they, you know, do me the favor of transcribing uh, the interview, uh, what Ernie's response was uh, to it. Actually, I'll, I'll play a clip from it now, uh, but that just gets it out there more. And his perspective, I think, you know, coming from a black man means a lot more than me saying, oh, it's just Axel using the word. So, uh, this is when I asked Ernie about what his thoughts were about uh, one in a million. No thoughts on that whatsoever. That didn't bother me. It didn't even raise an eyebrow. You know, it's, it's the one, the person that says it with intent. 
have raised the eyebrow. Exactly. Axel, I know his, his you know, he's he's not that dude, you know. He can say whatever he wants to say. He's not that dude. You know, we, we do a lot of you know, cop killer. We're killing cops. We're not killing cops. You know, he can say what he wants to. But he has, you know, that's not in his heart, you know. His bodyguard was a black man you know, for the longest, you know. So if you're a racist, why would you have a black man protect your life, you know? So, eh, that doesn't bother me at all. So if you want to hear the entire Ernie episode, if you haven't already, uh, episode 56, and uh, if you're lazy and if you just want to read it, it's on Alternative Nation, and they also transcribed a great story about uh, Ernie Duff and a gun, <laughs> which yeah, 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 which was a funny story. But uh, so check that out. Uh, also, part of our uh, shotgun news. I don't know if you heard this uh, yet. Remco, I believe it came out today. We try to keep this in real time, uh, you know, because it's it's Monday here. Well, here at NYC, I don't know if it's um, you're six hours ahead uh, yeah. in, in the Netherlands. But so they announced it a few hours ago. Uh, Slash featuring Miles Kennedy and the conspirators. Uh, they're going to be playing the Aftershock Festival in Sacramento, California. In October, um, the headliners there are System of a Down, Deftones, Alice in Chains, Incubus. But uh, we, we now know Slash is going to be out and about doing his uh, his thing after GNR is done in the summer. Uh, have you ever seen uh, Slash uh, live with that band? I have yet to. Oh yeah, yeah. I've seen um, um, I've seen them. I think it's like three times or so. They, oh, wow. they came to the Netherlands and uh, Belgium. Uh, I've seen them in a, a, a tiny club, the Paradiso, in uh, or tiny club. A club in uh, Amsterdam, which was amazing. They they, they rocked, um, and I love the band. Uh, I love their uh, their albums. Their yeah, right nice on. ones. Awesome. No, I, I can't wait. And uh, you know, I, I'm hoping to re- get uh, Brett Fitz on uh, on the show. He did say yes. Uh, thankfully, uh, Todd Kearns had a good enough of a time to say, hey, you know what? You could talk to him, Brent. He's he's a nice he's a nice young Jewish man. I don't know if they'll hear his exact words, but, uh, you know, I had to go through, uh, you know, Todd to talk to, to Brent. I try to do, do the, you know, do the, the right thing, the right chain of command. So uh, looking forward to uh, to that in the future, maybe sometime in the summer. Uh, also, last thing in the shotgun news, again, we try to keep this in real time. Uh, so for yesterday, it would be April 8th, uh, it was Izzy Stradlin's uh, 56th birthday. So, A, happy birthday to, to Izzy, because um, I'm sure he listens to this show. Um, but the, the story with that being, uh, you know, through tweets or Instagram or Facebook, uh, Matt Sorum said happy birthday, Duff said happy birthday, Slash also said happy birthday. Uh, but the interesting one I thought was uh, Stephen Adler. He put on Instagram, he goes, uh, you know, of course to a, a picture of Izzy, uh, happy birthday to my loving, faithful rock brother. I, I love you and I thank you for being a great friend. Now, he didn't emphasize faithful. It's, nothing was capitalized or underlined or anything. But I just thought, I don't know about you, Remco, the word faithful, I think that's, like, that's a carefully chosen word. So I just thought that was, that was interesting. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, it, it, I th- the thing I thought was um, uh, Izzy had uh, kept faith in, uh, in Stephen, obviously. Um, they, they, they worked together together. Uh, um, I think it was early 2000s on a song called uh, uh, a cover tune, Do You Love Me? I don't know if you've heard it, uh, otherwise I'll, uh, I'll let you know where it is. But it's, yeah, they, they did work together. Um, they played together uh, in Adler's Appetite, I think. Uh, maybe we'll uh, ask uh, Chip about that because I think he was in that band as well. 
um, yeah, it, 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 it was a yeah, very uh, heartwarming uh, comment. And, uh, and also the, the, the Instagram posts about, by um, Megan and uh, Susan McKagan, of course. Oh, I thought you um, said, uh, it's funny, I know, you said Megan. I thought you said Negan for a second. I was like, wait, the guy from The Walking Dead said that? No, no. Oh, no, 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 no. No, I know, no, no, sorry. Uh, well, actually, I didn't <laughs> no, even watch Walking Dead. Yeah, I even watched Walking Dead yesterday. I was watching uh, uh, WrestleMania, and I was rooting for, uh, this is, I guess, GNR related. I was rooting for uh, Charlotte Flair, Ric Flair's daughter, who, I mean, if you, I don't know if you follow uh, in WWE, but she won. And the only reason it matters, I guess, to our audience is because she's a huge Guns N' Roses fan. She has a, a tattoo that says uh, a little patience, I think, on her on her forearm or something like that. I would love to get Charlotte Flair uh, on, on the show at some point. Uh, but, yeah, um, no, just uh, very interesting. So I thought Faithful was interesting. And I don't know. It just kind of gives me hope that they're all still connected somehow, that we may see, you know, the Appetite 5 on stage at some point. But... Um, it's 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 good at least uh, via social media. Everyone's playing uh, nice, but Axel really doesn't tweet unless it's you know saying fuck Donald Trump or something like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> or something about Taco Bell. So I don't read too much uh, into that. Oh, uh, and, and uh, so before I, I do forget, because I want to give you a uh, proper credit, uh, Remco, so people can uh, follow you. Your your Instagram is uh, R E M C O G N R. Uh, that's yeah. on Instagram. See like a great uh, Guns N' Roses collection. You know daily posts. And uh, so, yeah, that's why, you know, in addition to, you know, you being a huge uh, Chip fan and helping me out with the interview, uh, I just thought you, you know, just to get another big GNR fan to add to this show overall and contribute. So, um, that yeah, thank you. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I, I huh? did uh, make Alternative Nation uh, a bit before you, I think. Oh, because, yeah. Yeah. Last year, I um, um, I found this uh, um, this very small snippets in a, a guitar solo of Slash um, in, that, that was a bootleg from Tokyo 1988. And uh, the, the, the thing he played was a bit similar to uh, the intro to Chinese Democracy. Mm. And um, so I, I, taped, I taped it in my car on my phone and um, put it on my Instagram. And then all of a sudden I got yeah, lots of di- uh, direct messages and everything. And uh, Alternative Nation uh, had seen it as well, and 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 yeah, they put it online. Yeah, no. saying that. Mm-hmm. No, well, a, a fan. I, I don't remember what they actually precisely said, but something like a fan who calls himself Remco. <laughs> I was like, no, that's my name. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, Brett's from California, so I mean, we're dumb Americans who just. Had no idea. <laughs> hey, I said to you off the air, I'm like, do I call you Remy? You're like, no, it's Remco. No. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I never met a Remco before. I, I it's, it's, no. you're my first. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Proud to be. <laughs> On that uh, awkward note of calling you my first Remco, uh, that does it for, uh, for Shotgun News. News. And I believe it's, uh, it's time for a uh, chip, Remco. You ready? I'm very, very ready. Hello? Brandon. Hey, Chip. You ready to do it, buddy? Oh, you know it. I've been excited for this for a while. Beautiful. Thank you. Awesome. And uh, Chip, just letting you know uh, on the phone, um, I invited a, a fan to be on, a big fan of yours. He's calling uh, all the way from the Netherlands. His name is Remco. No I love the Netherlands. My favorite place to play. Hey. Hi, Chip. How are you, Remco? Uh, I'm doing fine. How are you? Well, very good. I wish I was out in your neck of the woods right now. I just love it out there. 
Yeah? Why? Oh, beautiful. <laughs> well, the, first of all, they're starving for rock and roll there. So yeah. it's a lot of good rock and roll fans that come out to see us. Plus, I love going out to Amsterdam. I love the Red Light District. I love all the coffee shops. Big fan. I used to be a High Times Cannabis Cup judge. So I spent quality time there in the 90s and early 2000s hanging out there and playing shows. I love playing the Melt Bag. And yeah. There's there's some good venues out there for bands. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah there, there is. And uh, I've actually seen you once uh, at the Melkweg, but we'll uh, we'll get to that, uh, I think. Beautiful. No problem. Yeah. And you remember cool. that, that time, Chip. That's the, that's the most impressive thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I You know, it's one of my favorite places to play. High Times Magazine used to fly me out there, and I'd spend time uh, for those Cannabis Cup contests they would have, and I'd hang out with Sebastian Bach and the guys from Anthrax and Sepultura. All the bands would be out there. We'd all have a good time hanging out together. Oh, that's so cool. See, <laughs> I, I wish I was as worldly as, as you, Chip. I mean, uh, I'm from Long Island. Uh, I'm working in New York City right now. I'm in, in Tribeca, and I've been, like, up and down the East Coast. I'm in Canada, yep. if that counts. Uh, the, the furthest out west I've ever been is Minnesota. So I need to travel more and, and I'm somewhat traveling just via this podcast and that's why because I've had I think last episode was, uh, or a couple episodes ago was a fan from from Scotland and Ireland I've had on so you know I'm kind of traveling because of the, the love of this music so it's uh, you know not the same I definitely can't uh, hotbox the studio that I'm in right now I probably would get fired but maybe, maybe one day I'll, I'll go visit Amsterdam as well well oh, you should it'd be nice for you to get out and spread your wings a little bit because uh, wonderful people. They're great culture in, in Amsterdam. You'd be real surprised how nice they are out to you. And it's a small place, so you could probably walk through Holland. It'll probably take you a couple of days to walk through the whole place. And uh, it's just a, uh, bicycles are real big out there, so you can get a bike, rent a bike, and just drive around there. But most of it's uh, you're on foot and just walk around. It's real. Everything's in close proximity. Mm, I might have to get a uh, a mini scooter or a rickshaw or something because uh, Chip, I'm actually um, I'm physically handicapped. I have most people just think I'm walking with like a pimp limp. That's been called yeah. that. Uh, but yeah. I have, I have a neurological disability. I have like a limp and I walk with a cane. I just again I just look cool. I guess. But well, uh, you can take you could you could take a rickshaw out there. That's for sure to walk you around there. Nice. Or you just go with a guy like me and we just get a cab and just drive everywhere. <laughs> perfect, perfect. So Chip, uh, Chip's enough. This is so cool that you're calling up. But we're not. Uh, you're not in Amsterdam now. You're calling from Chicago, correct? That's that's correct. Chicago, Illinois, where it's nice and cold. Mm, well, it's cold here in, in New York City, and we're. I mean, well. For us here in New York, April is supposed to be spring. I don't know about Chicago. I mean, I, I have your views of what you guys are, Windy City, and the winters are worse. I mean, is it normal this time of year for you guys to be this cold? Uh, it's, yeah, it's pretty normal, to be honest with you right now. It, it, it fluctuates. All right. Well, again, I, I uh, thank you for, for calling. What, 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 what would you be doing now uh, if we weren't talking on the phone? It's I'm in the studio. I have my recording studio, and my guitar player, Tony Fennell, in the studio laying down some guitars. Nice. So how far away? Because you're from Illinois, so you're you like being uh, like uh, you know around your home base. Well, it's nice to be. Uh, I have my family out here, my father, my brother, and sister. So, and I have a ton of friends out here, and I've stayed real busy. I was co-hosting a show for a while here in Chicago called the Man Cow Show on the Loop. Oh, okay. So a lot, yeah. so a lot of people know who we are out here, and uh, that's probably why I stay. I still got my family 
On the south side of Chicago, it's nice to be close to everybody. Okay, yeah, uh, the Loop, which was just bought out by uh, a Christian station, right? And yeah. uh, everyone lost their jobs, which sucks, especially, you know, because I'm a radio guy, and such a heritage station. There's a very uh, famous picture of of Axel in the, the Loop t-shirt. Years, I think it was when it was the uh, the Rapid Fire days when he was with That's Izzy. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yep. you, you know the deal. I'm telling you about history you already know, but if for fans who... Who don't know? I I, th- I I wanted to. I tweeted at Axel. I'm like, maybe you can get a GoFundMe to go buy the Loop. But uh, <laughs> he obviously did not respond. So that sucks. Well, it's sad that 40 years is down the drain. But everybody gets the memories of the Loop. It started all up a long time ago. Some of the greatest DJs of our time were out there. Uh, most notably, Steve Dahl, and he he was on that station for quite a long time. And then uh, they had that disco demolition over at Comiskey Park, where yeah. they blew up they blew up disco records and caused a lot of dissension. People were really mad about that because it disrupted the baseball game, of course. And uh, it, made a, it obviously made headlines for Steve Dow, but the Loop's been running for such a long time playing. They're probably the only classic rock station here in Chicago outside of 97.1, The Drive. And when Mancow took over, the st- station was in you know, to, in twenties or thirties on the list, and they went all the way to number one. So he built, he helped build that station back up to respectability, and all must th- uh, all great things must end at one time or another. And uh, it just it just so happens that the Loop uh, has forty years of experience that, and where people got a chance to hear their favorite bands, and now they got to go somewhere else. But mm. there's other stations out there that are opening up. Of course, we got Sirius XM, and you got Dash Radio. There's a lot of different entities that are coming into play, and I think we're going to be fine here in Chicago. Sure, and of course you got uh, podcasts, like just like <laughs> like us. That's that's the way the world the world is going. Radio is definitely changing, and that's why you know I've done a, you know I've been part of FM stations, classic uh, heritage stations that have gone by the wayside, and you have to go through changes. It's a very it's a tough industry, but uh, for someone like you who's been you know, added for 30 years to be a part of uh, such a heritage station in your community. Uh, you know, it's it's not just a station that gave you an outlet. I have to imagine it was kind of like family members for you a little bit. Well, yeah, I felt very close to these guys. It was nice for them to add me onto the station, let me come in and co-host. And, I, you know, I met a lot of people. It helped elevate my perception. It's helped a lot of people out there realize that enough enough has never stopped. Keep putting records out every couple of years touring around the country. It's a nice outlet for all of us. And I'm going to miss the station. Mm. I think something else is going to pop open. And, you know, one door closes and three doors open. That's the way I look at things. And I guess failure is not my vocabulary. Uh, perhaps it just means that uh, get it right the next time. Right on. And that's what we're going to get to. You, The fact that uh, Enough's Enough has been doing it for for 30 years, continuously, you know, more than 30 years, right? Like, when did you guys... We're going to get into, of course, the, the GNR stuff, you working with Steven Adler, but I want to find out more about, you know, Chip, because you're such a, a unique individual, and there's not a lot about you online. Uh, I mean, yes, you've done plenty of interviews, but you, you don't even have a Wikipedia page? You're famous enough to have a Wikipedia page. Well, maybe some things are better left unsaid. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Uh, no, I've, I've, obviously, I put the band together back in 1984. Mm. And, I was uh, one, not it, to make you feel it, bad. Yeah, yeah, it took us a long time. We were all young kids at the time. We were all teenagers. I, just, I graduated from Brother Rice High School on the south side of Chicago in 70, uh, 79, uh, put together enough stuff in 1984, 
And it took us about five years to get discovered. A guy named Doc McGee discovered the band out in sure. Lincoln, Wisconsin, and uh, helped us out where that started to spark for enough stuff's career. Right on. I'm assuming you were a Cubs fan as well, or are, or White Sox. Uh, I like both. I like both teams. Uh, I'm one of the rare breeds. Usually, in, like if you're in New York, it's either the Mets or the Yankees. Right. Here in Chicago, it was Cubs and Sox. My grandfather played with the Sox in the 30s. His name was Zygmunt. Wow. Zygmunt Rabarski. That was my grandfather. He was one of the last ambidextrous ball players in the in the in baseball. Wow. And he, uh, I think that's uh, where my uh, loyalty lies is with the Chicago White Sox because of that. Okay. And then, of course, back in uh, the 70s, I got a chance to um, try out for the White Sox. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the, of the Southsiders, but I always root for the Cubs. I want to see them do well, and they've been terrific for the last four or five years. Cool. Oh, I'll set everything up, too. Because uh, I emailed you, and you were out on, on tour, and you were nice enough. You got back to me like a couple weeks later. I know you, everyone who's out on tour is super busy. I'm the only uh, loser desperate enough for attention to have my I have my phone in my hand all the time. But uh, I'm getting, not to disturb you too much, Chip, but I'm getting out of the shower, and my phone rings. And I'm the kind of guy, again, I'm desperate for attention. Uh, I'm, I answer even if it's from an unknown number. And I, I picked it up, and it was like, hey, it's Chip. I don't want to impersonate you. I'm not going to insult you like that. Uh, but I'm, I was wearing a towel, and only a towel. You'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a towel. <laughs> and you're like, it's Chip. It's branded. <laughs> and uh, it was just so so cool to, you know, yeah, let, let's do it. Uh, and, you know, since then, I've just been watching so many interviews with you. And what caught me by surprise was, and you just mentioned to it, your, your baseball background, not just with your, your you said your grandfather was um, tried up for the Sox, right? Yeah, my grandfather, my grandfather played the Sox for like three years. He got hurt. A guy slid in the third base, and it, he got hurt and was never the same again. Mm. Uh, but because of his uh, time with the White Sox, my my father always pushed that. And I was I used to collect baseball cards when I was a kid. And I, was, and I just all I did is play sports, you know, football, baseball, basketball, hockey. I was a real jock. Nice. Uh, but I love music at the same time. And as a, maybe 12 or 13, listening to Don Kirshner's rock concert, and Midnight Special and all those shows that really uh, tripped my trigger. And I was able to uh, parlay that, and I, had, I found myself at about 14 or 15 uh, wanting to play music much more. I, I was, it was more important to me to write a song than throw a curveball or a slider or a fastball. Mm. Uh, but I still loved uh, the mechanics of baseball and any sports and what you know the team camaraderie, and I tried to use that when I put together Enough's Enough. What position did you play? Because you ended up, like you said, you tried out, though. Even though you you were falling in love more with music, you still pursued your professional athlete, career as a professional athlete, no? Yeah, there, there, I guess a few of the major league teams are watching me. At 16 years old, I tried out for the Sox, Milwaukee Brewers, Kansas City Royals. And, I, you know, I had a lot to say. When I was playing baseball, I, like I said, I loved the camaraderie. I loved pitching. It was very important. I loved it. It was, very, uh, it was a tedious job. Uh, but I didn't have a fast. I didn't have an, uh, a strong enough fastball at the time. I threw a curveball, a slider, a forkball. I, I had a bunch of little tricks up my sleeve, but I certainly didn't have a good enough fastball. And back then, the major leaguers were looking for guys that were throwing in their 90s. My fastball was around 85 miles an hour, and I just didn't make the fourth quarter, so to speak. Sure. Uh, but I, I still took that. There was a lot of things in baseball that I took with me when I started putting together my musical career, which is. 
the first thing that really started off for me was Enough's Enough. That was a big thing. I had other bands before that, but Enough's Enough was the first one that really made a lot of sense. So that was the. So how did that come about then? So let's go there. Enough's Enough's Enough. Was it, you know, when you were on the road, were you daydreaming about starting a band, or how did that? You know, when did you finally quit? This baseball thing's not going to work out. And but oh, oh wow, this other band, this uh, is, we got something here. Well, after I graduated from Brother Rice High School, I immediately uh, moved out to Los Angeles and, and joined a band called Degeneration, the original Degeneration, not the one in New York. Okay. And it was with uh, Peter Blass and Dick Krepp and Ray Zor, a punk rock band. We had uh, Fleetwood Mac's management company behind us. We uh, had a guy named Bill Norvis who was managing the band. And he worked with Joan, uh, Joan Worley and Peter Marshall and all the guys from the Hollywood Squares. And he was the guy that actually started the band off. We moved to Los, Los Angeles. Our first shows were in Las Vegas. We were opening for Boss Gags and the Grateful Dead. We had great shows. And it was a total punk rock band from, the, from Chicago, Illinois, that just uprooted and moved out to the West Coast. And we, uh, you know, along with the rock band comes a lot of uh, extracurricular activities, i.e. drugs, alcohol, and we just uh, didn't, we just, uh, we couldn't take it to the next level. The band fell apart after a couple of years. I moved back to Chicago, and I got together with a buddy of mine named Mickey Fabus on the south side of Chicago, and we uh, started recording out of his studio, and uh, Donnie and I recorded maybe, a, 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 I would say, a, a 45 uh, maybe a half dozen songs, uh, an EP would it be called back then. And we just couldn't get any action happening, and uh, we we wanted to take a different direction. So we just uh, decided, let's put together our own band. And uh, that's what we did. We here in the south side of Chicago started doing demos out of uh, Grandma and Grandpa McNulty's basement here in Blue Island, Illinois. Mm. We had a little four-track recorder, and I played drums, I played guitar. And we only had four tracks, and Donnie and I would sing on the same microphone, no overdubs at all. And we recorded a demo. We did about maybe 20 songs, and we played it for our friends. And uh, they were all blown away. So said, you guys got something special here. And that gave us the confidence to go back in and start recording some more songs. And, you know, they weren't the best songs, but uh, we were, our influences were Beatles and Squeeze and Mata Hoopo. Of course, Cheap Trick is uh, obviously because uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the same uh, overtones of that band. And uh, from, from there, we started playing some shows, and we were opening for everybody from Cheap Trick to to BTO. Any bands that would come through here in Chicago, we would just play shows and opening for them. And eventually, uh, met this guy in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, named Bob Brigham. He was managing a band called Holland. And Bob says, hey, you guys got something special here. You know, bring us a demo. So we gave him a cassette tape, which cassettes were big back then. And uh, didn't hear anything for about six months. And evidently him and his partner were out in Tel Aviv. And they list, finally listened to our record and called me back on the phone and said, hey, Chip, we've been listening to your record. You're right. You guys got some great songs and we'd like to meet with you. So we uh, drove out to Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, had a nice meeting. And they were kind enough to give us a studio and let us record some demos out of there. And that was the catalyst for starting the spark that started Enough's Enough back in, uh, that was around 1986-87. And we recorded a bunch of songs out of there, all the early demos, New Thing, Fly, Michelle, Baby Loves You. And uh, Doc McGee came through Lake, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin with his band Skid Row. And Adrian Blue and the Bears were in the studio, and James Addiction was mixing their record. 
And uh, there was a monster rock came through there, actually. And uh, we met the guys from Cinderella and Kingdom Come, and we gave them our demos and told everybody what we were doing. And everybody seemed to be uh, uh, really excited about the, the new Enough Snuff record that we were recording. We had no record deal at all until uh, Doc McGee said, I got three cassettes on my car, Chip. Two of them are Enough's Enough. I'm going to give it to my friend Derek Shulman, who's got his own imprint over Atlantic Records called Atco Records, and let's see if he likes it. And uh, we were very excited when we got heard back from uh, Derek Shulman saying, hey, I like your stuff. I'm going to fly to Chicago and check your band out. And uh, we went in the studio, and he came down to a couple re- to uh, to hear a couple songs in our rehearsal spot. To a place in Chicago we were record- rehearsing at um, called Dress Rehearsal with Don and Monica Grayless. They were the owners. They let us come in there for 10 bucks an hour and record and rehearse songs. And Derek Shulman heard a couple of songs. The first song we played from Derek broke a string. And uh, Donnie said to Derek, hey, let me know if we blew the deal off. Fire him right now. Talking about Derek Frigo. And uh, we played one more song from him. And he was blown away. He loved the songs. And he goes, I think I've heard enough. And we thought, well, you know, they're not gonna. They're gonna pass in a deal. We're gonna get a deal somewhere else. And lo and behold, uh, they spent a facsimile the next day for a quarter million dollars to sign enough enough, and that put us in the game right there. And that was when Doc McGee was managing the band. Mm. And uh, right there was a, that was the start of everything. We went back in the studio. We recorded about thirty songs. Sent Derek Shulman the thirty. He picked the best ten, and that was the first enough enough album. Where like was your your mindset at that time? You know, to go from, again, you know, a young kid from Illinois, you know, maybe pursuing the your baseball career. And did you ever fathom, you know, again, how, and how this could happen? Okay, let's like, oh, go there. How like, many years from when you formed that band to getting this record? How long did it take you? Uh, it was five years of okay. playing clubs for, for 15 to 30 people a night. Uh, unless we were opening for, like I said earlier, a Cheap Trick or a BTO or somebody. It took a long, long time. Okay. I remember when, when we uh, we were doing our demos, I went to uh, a cheap trick show at the Limelight and uh, here in Chicago, and I and I, I seen Rick Nielsen there, and I I said to Rick, I said, hey, we're uh, we're working on doing a record with uh, a label. We, we got some label interest. We'd love you to produce us. And I gave him the cassette tape, hoping that Rick would say, yeah, this is great. I'll produce your first record. So when the record company, Derek Shulman at Acto, said – is there, he asked us, is there anybody out there that you'd, like to work, that you'd like to work with on your record? And we said, yeah, we'd like Rick Nielsen. And uh, he goes, have you given him any material? We said, yeah, we gave him one of our cassette tapes. And he goes, has he gotten back yet? I said, no. He goes, well, forget him then. So Rick Nielsen, was. we, we wanted him to produce that first record. Instead, Derek says, who produced the demos? And we said, well, Donnie and I did. And he goes, let's just, it's not broken. There's nothing to fix. Once you guys produce the record... And I'll get a guy to come in there and mix it for you. So, you know, it was five years of beating us up, beating ourselves up in the clubs, but we had a vision. And we knew we had some good songs. We had our own sound. We weren't a hair band. We were, we were alternative before alternative. Sure. And I remember, I remember the guys in Guns N' Roses saying to me, man, if you guys would have came out a year or two earlier, you would have been massive because your sound was, was, was quite unique and, and it had a charming uh, sound. Uh, but unfortunately, at that time, there was a lot of hair bands out there, and we got caught in the middle of a political shuffle between ATCO and Atlantic Records. And uh, we found ourselves behind the eight ball, and 
even though those first two records went gold, and back then gold record wasn't a big deal as opposed to how it is now. If you sell a half million records now, you're a champion. You're back in the game. Back then, uh, it wasn't as big because everybody was going platinum, all the big bands. And our competition was Guns N' Roses and Poison and Motley Crue and Whitesnake and uh, bands like Enough's Enough or Jellyfish uh, or Dan Reed Network uh, had a real hard time. Hmm. So then what was your, let's go back to like, what was your, your mindset as far as uh, how successful you, you could be or where you wanted to go? Because even though with the, during those five years, you would still open up for major acts. You would have, you know, people from uh, Cheap Trick and, of course, Guns N' Roses say how good you guys were. So you had positive reinforcement. So was it was it frustrating, or you just knew eventually it would be a matter of time? It was just a matter of time. We went, Obviously, there's frustration that goes along with everything. And Listen, you show me a band without influences, I'll show you a guy who hasn't written one note or doesn't have a record deal. So, you know, we were wearing our influences probably on our sleeves, and we were always told, don't talk about, you know, the Beatles and bands like that. But, you know, you are what you eat. And we knew eventually we kept playing great shows and making good music that we would get discovered. And it, only t- it just took time. And it was five years of beating ourselves up. We weren't making any money. You know, we were playing gigs for free or for 50 bucks a night. Whatever we could, any gigs we could find, we were out there playing. We just wanted to play in front of as many people as possible. And it was my idea to get out there and open up for national acts because we'd steal their fans. And I guess that template seemed to work because eventually well, we were discovered. And because of Doc McGee, and he had big, great bands he was managing at the time, Motley Crue and Bon Jovi and Scorpions, this is before he had Kiss, uh, we knew that Doc could help put us in the right direction, and he certainly did. Our first tours were great. We, our first tour actually was out with uh, Badlands, Jake Lee's group, and Ray Gillen, the late Ray Gillen. And that really helped set the tone for us. Hmm. So let's go to, when was the first time you met? Because, of course, this is a Guns N' Roses podcast, but, of course, I wanted to kind of character build the character that is Chips Enough just a little bit. Uh, when was your first encounter with any of the members of GNR? Uh, I guess, well, probably in the early days, you know, because I go see the bands when they play out. In the 80s, when they come through New York and play shows, I'd go see them. And I wouldn't go back and talk to anybody or bother anyone, although I met Doc, and he was, he was super charming beyond belief. And I met Slash at a couple of cheap sh- trick shows, and he was super sweet as well. Uh, I didn't really start bonding with those guys until probably in, in the early 2000s when uh, Steven's brother, Jamie Adler, came out to a show where we were playing in Las Vegas. And I walked. I was backstage, and uh, I was walking out to the tour bus, and Jamie was in the parking lot, and he says, hey, I'm Jamie Adler, Stephen Adler's brother. My brother loves you. I go, well, I love your brother. <laughs> and he's been out of Guns N' Roses now for a while, obviously. He's probably, you know, 12, 13 years at the time. And he says, my brother's putting together a band called Adler's Appetite, and he, he wants you to play bass for him. And I said, hey, give, have him give me a call. I'd love to talk to him. And uh, lo and behold, I met Stephen. He was beyond belief loving, a huge fan of not just our band, but uh, the, uh, that whole scene. And I could tell he was missing. He still had, a, uh, he still had fire in his in his veins, and he, he wanted to play shows. I could tell he was passionate about his craft, and uh, he gave me a couple of days to learn the whole appetite for destruction record, which was uh, quite challenging because those jagoffs wrote those songs when they were when they were young kids in their early twenties, and here we are at the time we were in our thirties and early forties, and we had to go out and learn these songs. But we did. The shows were great, and 
that was the start of uh, Adler's appetite, playing appetite for destruction every single night in its entirety. And the fans that come out, I'll tell you, it was packed every single night of those shows. Mm. They were they were definitely into the group. And was Stephen put together like a mini little all-star band with uh, members of Faster Pussycat and Quiet Riot and Up's Enough. And uh, it seemed to work out really well. We went around the country, went over to Europe, went to South America. All the shows were well attended. The fans were happy, and they couldn't see Guns N' Roses at the time playing those songs because they were on hiatus. But they got a chance to see one of the iconic members of the band playing them with a bunch of guys like us. And we did the best we could. The show sounded good. And obviously it wasn't Guns N' Roses, but uh, that flame was still lit. It was a little spark for sure there. And it helped us all go out there and not only uh, play for the fans because they were dying for years and years to hear those songs, but to, like I said, to get a chance to see one of the original guys that cre- helped create Appetite for Destruction. What was your? What did you think about that? Because I mean, you said were you, how were you, like big of a fan of uh, Guns N' Roses were you? Because that's interesting that you first kind of started working with Stephen in the early two thousands. Because considering that you kind of came up in the time period. It wasn't the 80s. It wasn't the 90s. It was the 2000s. So uh, how big of a GNR fan were you, or were you just looking for the opportunity to work with Steven Adler? No, I wasn't looking for the opportunity whatsoever. And obviously I, I respect that band beyond belief. It was an iconic record. It's a great band. There's nothing to say bad about them. Uh, but I wasn't a huge fan at the time. I, why, why, would I, why should I lie to you? When I first got put together Guns N' Roses, uh, Enough's Enough, uh, Guns N' Roses was our competition. So, you know, we listened to their first record, listened to ours, and we thought, they don't have anything on us. We, our band is just as strong as they are. That's as crazy as I thought. But, you know, one day maybe people look back and they go, Donnie V is one of the quintessential vocalists of that era. He's, he's a great singer, songwriter. There's no denying that. And, you know, they had Axel and Slash, and we had uh, you know, Derek Frigo and uh, Vicky Fox. Both bands, I thought, were uh, stacked full of rock stars. And we both had strong songs, uh, but David Geffen and the Geffen Records really put a lot of money in behind the uh, the GNR uh, uh, band. And it was the same thing with the Iaco Records and Atlantic Records. They they pushed enough's enough, and they just got a couple more breaks. They got the the Rolling Stones tour, and they got the Aerosmith tour, and we got the Badlands tour. And the Nelson tour, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, they got the big push, and we we were right behind them, but just couldn't put it over. And listen, I don't downplay our success. We we had tons of success there. We Absolutely. played in stadiums and sheds just like they did. But Guns N' Roses made an iconic record. There's no there's no turning back on that. And maybe we did. Maybe the guys in Guns are right about enough stuff coming out a little bit too late. But here we are now in 2018, and both bands are still going strong. Uh, Guns N' Roses is uh, out playing uh, huge stadiums, mm-hmm. and three to five guys are back there. And Stephen did a few shows, which were which was fantastic. And maybe one day him and Izzy will get back in. They'll do a 35 years appetite for destruction. I'd love to see that, and so would the fans. Uh, on the other hand, enough's enough. We're we're getting ready to put our 21st record, which is called Diamond Boy. Wow. We're on Frontiers Records. We just got off a successful UK run, and we're getting ready to go out with Live Nations putting together a great run for Enough's Enough, and it'll be uh, uh, Great White with uh, Jack Russell, okay. uh, Bullet Boys, Enough's Enough, and uh, there might be another band there, too, and that comes out. It'll be a three-month run as well. So we're all still working. They're all healthy. That makes me happy to see. 
I love to see Slash and Duff back together again. The band they have is iconic. I used to play with Frank, the drummer. I've done records with him. Tony Fennell was a record producer before he joined Enough's Enough. Okay. And before he, uh, before that, he was also the singer from a band I don't know, you guys have all heard. Uh, uh, and he, uh, he was a huge band out there. Tony, what was in the band? Ultravox. And I got to okay. break this now, guys. And uh, he took mid-year's place in that band. And then he put together a couple other things. He was on Actual Records. And from there, uh, Tony was kind enough to call me to do a record out in New York uh, with uh, a bunch of people. One of them was uh, Frank from uh, uh, Guns N' Roses, who was, uh, before that, he was in uh, Psychedelic First. And uh, that's how we all developed friendship out there. And uh, from there, it's funny, Frank... Uh, I remember after he finished that record with Tony Fennell said, man, I'm in trouble right now. My wife is pregnant. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I got to get another gig. And we were sitting outside having a, sharing a cigarette together. And, and Frank says, uh, man, I find myself behind the eight ball here. I, I'm, I really don't know what I'm going to do. And Tony says, look, bro, you got a great disposition. You're a slamming drummer. You're going to find something real soon. You're going to be real happy. And honest to God, three weeks later, he got the Guns N' Roses gig. <laughs> Unbelievable. And he's out here a lot playing with his other band, uh, Mule Kick, in the, here in the, in yeah, the city. Yeah, the band, that, when, when Tony turned me on to Frank, he was in a band called, um, uh, God, I got a brain cramp. They're called Honky Toast. And uh, he was in the band with Richard Fortas. They both played in Honky Toast together. So uh, they couldn't get, they couldn't find any act. They couldn't get a spark happening, even though that record was iconic. Mm. And it just so happens, you know, Frank got the Guns N' Roses gig first, and then he was able to bring Frank in. <laughs> That's insane. Uh, but in going back to before, it's interesting how Jamie kind of got the ball rolling. And how if you looked at GNR as a, you know, and I get it as like a competition uh, at that time, uh, were you into like, hey, I would love to do something with Steven Adler? Or the fact that it was kind of going to be like a cover band? Or what did you think of that? Like, this is just a cool opportunity? Or did you have any reservations about that? Uh, you're very intuitive. You know, the first thing I thought about when he, when he brought up the uh, Stephen Adler gig was, boy, if I did something with Stephen, all those Guns N' Roses fans would, would, uh, would understand how good Enough's Enough is, and it would help elevate our perception. So, yeah, I did think about that. And, that's, and I, I wasn't going to leave Enough's Enough. Uh, but I thought, well, people hear that I'm playing with one of the guys from Guns N' Roses. They're going to maybe it'll legitimize enough's enough to the Guns N' Roses fans. Yeah, that's kind of a lot of things. Like we talk about that a lot in this podcast. It's like the branding, you know. So you're helping, even though you're with with Adler and his new band, Adler's Appetite. It's finding more about you and enough's enough. And that's honestly how I, you know, I'm I'm 34. I mean, I still obviously, you know, uh, like a lot of 80s bands. I'm aware of the Civil War. I'm aware of dinosaurs. I'm aware of things prior to me. But yep. GNR has gotten me, you know, dragged me more into enough's enough. Or, you know, our, our last episode speaking with uh, Ernie C from uh, Body Count, there's a lot of, you know, GNR pulled me into more of their music. So that's kind of how it, it works. And whatever six degrees of Kevin Bacon, GNR Bacon, works for you yeah that's great hang on a second tony fennel just yelled at me something what'd you say tony tony sends his love you guys he's over here at the studio with me right now what's going on tony and uh yeah we're uh <laughs> he's actually taking a little break from recording in the studio to cook some chicken okay well uh i hope it smells good in there. The save me some yeah if he was a great singer guitar player <laughs> 
Nice. Um, actually, now that because Jamie was recently in in the news, uh, he he. I don't know if you read. He put a pretty heartfelt post on uh, one of the Facebook. Um, excuse me, one of the Guns N' Roses Facebook uh, pages. I don't know if you had a chance to read that at all or no. You... Sure. Bad bad news travels fast. Yeah. So uh, and, and I, what I my my because uh, I, I listen. I don't want to get into a shouting match with anybody, and I don't want to. Uh, I don't feel like scrapping with anyone right now unless they're in my face. Oh yeah, you don't have um, to. I would. I can preface I, everything I with whatever you want to share. You can always say pass. I'm just curious I, if you had thoughts. No, on No, I don't want to pass. I, I want to say that Jamie. You know, I, I obviously he's passionate for his and he loves his brother, and that's that's a wonderful trait to carry. But sometimes you just gotta bite your lip and turn the other cheek and. He wasn't a guitar player. He wasn't a drummer. He didn't play in Guns N' Roses, so he really doesn't have a right to say anything like that in a publication. Maybe you're talking to your friends or your brothers or even fans, but to get out there and, and sling mud to uh, against one of the greatest bands of our generation when you weren't in the fucking band is a shortcut to thinking. And I don't agree with it, what he did. I Even though I, I respect his passion, you just don't talk about that kind of stuff. That's what, how I look at it. He probably shouldn't have said anything. Let his brother fight his battles because his brother was the guy who wrote and fucking played on those iconic records. And that's anybody that was in the music business would agree with me on that. Yeah, and I and I I do understand it from that perspective as well. And I always try to look at it from all angles because I'm not these people. And I I just looked at it like, you know, it's it's like as someone who has I'm the oldest of four, so I have brothers too. So like, what would you do? Like, what would I do if I felt like maybe my brother was in pain or? Uh, do you think maybe he was speaking for for Stephen, or assumed maybe that's what Stephen, you know, what, what feels and was getting it out there, or was he kind of just going rogue by by saying all of this and, and just wants to be a part of it again? And I don't know, it's just all very weird and awkward, and just wasn't necessary, especially with Stephen going out on tour again. Why have the the negative press uh, around you? Yeah, leave it alone. That's one of the reasons why he's not back with the guys right now because they see that and they go, "Fuck, we got." We, you know, look at what we did now. We let him back in. He's part of the t- part of the family, even though he's not on a tour with us. He still makes money on it, still making chips off the band. Why do you need to sling money when you live in a glass house, okay? And I, I bet you right now, knowing Jamie, because he's, he's, he, he's not a dumb guy. He's, he's, he's intelligent. He's probably kicking himself in the ass saying, I shouldn't have said anything right now. I should have just left it alone because that hurts in the long run. When the guys look back at it and they go, hey, want to do another run, they're going to go, Maybe not. Maybe it's not in our best interest. We've had success like this with the three of us and with the new guys in the band. Maybe if it's not broken, not, let's not fix it. You know, leave it alone. And it hurts the chance for the fans to get a chance to see the great Izzy Stratlin and Steven Adler together going out and doing just an appetite for destruction tour. Imagine what that would be. The fans would love that beyond belief. It would be jam-packed every single night. You just play that record, maybe a couple of songs off the Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 that Stephen played on and leave it alone. It'd be great. Yeah. But, I, I, you know, the, to me, it's, it's, uh, it's, an, it's another scar. It's another cut on that, on that long, long history of, of bad blood between those cats. Mm. And especially you knowing these guys personally and within your own band, you know, dealing with, you know, friction and, and you know, over such a long period of time. That's why it's so impressive that you're, you've kept the name for so long and still have success because it is difficult. Even when it was just Axel, you know, it's difficult yeah, to keep the ship going. And, and, and props to Axel for keeping it going all this time while the other guys are all doing solo records and doing different bands. Duff with Loaded, a great band. 
where he's a lead singer in that band. Those guys kick ass. I went and seen him at the Viper Room. They were terrific. Yeah. And then, of course, Slash, uh, all his solo records. So the guy, as soon as he plugs the guitar in, you don't even need singing. His guitar is iconic. As soon as he hits a note, you go, that's Slash. That's a sign of a real star, like a Jimmy Page or somebody. As soon as they play or a Jeff Beck, you know immediately who it is. Not a lot of guitar players have that sound and, and, and have that playing ability. So the, the, all those guys in their own rights are superstars in my eyes. And right now, they're out there making a lot of people happy, providing a service, which is going out playing those iconic songs every single night. And they're playing them to bed. They're one of the biggest tours out there, all the bands, after all these years. And you got you to gotta give your props to Axl Rose, which is probably one of the greatest singers of our generation. Agreed. And this actually uh, leads to, and I can throw it over to, uh, to Remco, because he, um, he was talking, we were talking the other day about your, your solo record, uh, Strange Time, where you had uh, Steven on it, you had Slash on it. So Remco, do you want to take away your, your questions about that? Because I, I know you had a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah I will. Um, before that, I will uh, um, say something about the, the brother situation, sure. because if I remember correctly, um, last time, um, right before the, the, the reunion uh, gossip started, the, uh, Slash's brother, Ash, also made a comment on uh, Facebook about Axel, and it was pretty negative. That turned out pretty well, so let's hope that uh, Jamie's uh, comments will turn out well as well. Oh, true, yes. Uh, that's so funny. <laughs> Slash's brother, Ash, it's, it's like, can't make that up, uh, called Axel fat. Right, and then took it down, and uh, of course, as eventually Slash and Axel, or you know, Mom and Dad got back together. So you yeah. never know. Hopefully, Jamie didn't uh, do too much damage. But uh, I completely uh, understand your your sentiments, uh, Chip, with that. So, uh, but what about the uh, the solo record, Remco? Yeah, yeah, I have uh, a, a couple of questions because um, the solo record was um, uh, released somewhat uh, a couple of years after the first release of it. Strange, um, a strange time was a, 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 the eventually the, the the release, but before it was um, it was already released or unreleased, but uh, talked about. Yeah, well, we we first put that record out. First of all, I had Stephen come to Chicago, and uh, he stayed here for about a month. He was cleaning himself up, and and I, I don't take drugs. All right, I'm smoked pot like anybody else has tried. Uh, but I'm not a drug guy. I'm not an alcohol guy. I just like to play. I like to play music, and I love trim. That's it. I wrote <laughs> and I wrote songs, and the, the songs were really going to be songs for an, an Enough Snuff album. And Stephen came to the house here, stayed for about a month here in my little in my little town called Blue Island, Illinois. It was really great with having him here, and I uh, just lived at the house here. And every day I'd get asked him to play some drums. And I'd get in there and I'd have sessions. I'd be producing bands and Steve would come in and get drum sounds. And anytime he would play drums, I'd just record his stuff. So, that I, you know, I had a, I, I, I have albums worth of material. I bet I could write songs around all his iconic drum beats. And uh, I, started rec I started writing these songs. When Steven was a writer with me on them, you know, he would just play the drums, play a beat that I would suggest to him, and then I would go into Pro Tools and I would start recording songs. And we recorded the whole record. It was at first it was a six-song EP, and I was going to put that out. And uh, we took it on the road with us with Atlas Appetite, and we yeah. saw them at the shows. And we, in the first week, we sold about 300 copies. And the management company came to me and said, uh, "You know, hey, uh, we see you're selling the uh, Adler's Enough record at the shows." I said, "Yeah, Stephen knows all about it." 
And he says, well, you know, it's going to confuse the audience with Adler's appetite. Uh, we, we prefer you didn't sell the records of the shows. So that was very upsetting. But hmm. and I didn't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. So I said, okay, no problem. I won't sell any more of the shows. And then a, a little time passed, and I was going to put the record out. And I went to Cleopatra Records. And a guy named Brian Pereira, who's the president of the label, says, uh, do you have any material that, that we could put out here? We, we, we love your band. And I said, well, I got this record. It's called Johnny Rotten Jr. It's just a solo record that I did. And, uh, and I also have a record called Adler's Enough. And he says, why don't you give me both records? Let me take a listen to them. So I sent him the records. And he, the, I'm telling you, the next day he called me. He says, this is great stuff here, Chip. I really love this. It's a, the whole different side of what you would do in Enough's Enough. It's like a stoner rock record. Why don't we take both of those records and put it on one record? And don't call it Johnny Rotten Jr. because I already have Johnny Rotten on my label is John Lydon, P-I-L. Okay, sure. And I don't, want any tr- I don't want any trouble with him. And I own the name Johnny Rotten Jr. By the way, uh, that, record, that's, that name was given to me by Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick. I was at his house getting a bunch of stuff signed for an auction. And, uh, and Rick, I said, Rick, I'm doing a solo record, I, but I don't want to call it Chips Enough. He goes, well, you know, you got to give it a good name. Why don't you call it Johnny Rotten Jr.? And I said, that sounds great. I'd love that. Uh, I'll use it. And he goes, 50-50. <laughs> we both laughed about it. So then here I am a year later at Cleopatra Records, and he wants to put both records together on one disc and just call it Chip Snuff. And my father for years was telling me, son, if you're going to put a solo record out, use your name. Don't use a different name. People like you, and the, the, I think they'll be pleasantly surprised if you sing all the songs. Right. So I put mm-hmm. both, both records together. I let Cleopatra run with it, do all the artwork and everything. And uh, it seemed to work out very well because they just called me last week. It's funny you brought that up, and they want me to do another solo record with them. So cool. uh, the record did very well for us, and we don't play too many of the songs out live. Uh, but I know Steven's tickled pink. It's the, the, some of the music has been in a few mu- movies and soundtracks. And uh, I'm real proud of that. And it's a nice record to have with Steven Adler on there. Dale Basio's on the record as well for Missing Persons. And, you know, we got that, uh, that sample of Slash's solo on one of the songs, and I, I, I'm really proud of it, and I think, I think that a lot of people uh, were really happy with that album. And you got oh, to yeah. uh, work with one of your heroes, right? Robin was on there from Cheap Trick, wasn't he on that? Robin, Robin Zander, I called him on the phone, I said, Robin, I'm doing a solo record, and I did a cover of All Day and All the Night by the Kinks, and he goes, Chip, that's funny that you're asking me to sing on that, because that's the first song that I played with Cheap Trick when I joined Cheap Trick. Mm. He goes, send me the track, so I sent him the song, and out in Florida, and uh, he sent it back to me. It was like six vocal takes, and I called him back. I said, Rob, and your pipes are incredible on this, bro. Thank you so much for doing it. What do I owe you? And listen, you want to get Robin Zander to sing on your record, it's going to cost you 10, 20 grand to sing on a song. And Robin's exact words were, Chip, uh, happy birthday, buddy. <laughs> it was, it didn't charge me a penny on it. I put the record out. That was a single I got one of the guys from uh, the Greg King band to play lead guitar on the track, uh, a guy named Sir Ashley Scott, and uh, did a great job on the record. And uh, that we include that song on the on the album. And yeah, anytime you get a record, you got uh, Stephen Adler, Robin Zander, Dale Basio from Missing Persons, a Slash on there with his iconic guitar. Are you kidding me? Obviously, people are going to take notice to it. And uh, the guys all did it, and they were happy. And uh, it's, it's one great thing. I'd probably never be able to do that again to get those four iconic people to sing on the record with me. But uh, the record's out there. Anybody can get it. It's on Cleopatra Records, and I'm real proud of it. 
How did the yeah. uh, the the slash thing uh, come about, uh, about on that record? Uh, Stephen played on a track called "Tonight We Met and Now We're Gonna Fuck," and it was just uh, one of those songs where you can't say those words to a woman, but you certainly can sing it and sing song. Mm. And I got I begged Dale to sing on the record. She came here to Chicago as well. She spent a couple days with me and, and all her kitty cats, and I talked her into it, and she didn't want to sing it, but then she did, and she was super super happy she did. And then I just talked to Steve, and I said, you know, I'd like to get Slash on here to blow a solo, but he's so busy, but I, I know I can get a sample solo. I had a bunch of stuff, a bunch of tracks of him before on that early stuff that he did with just his guitar, and I just played around in Pro Tools and just and added it in there, and it sounded great, and I left it alone. That's amazing. And I know, Remco, you were pretty... Uh... You know, uh, take it away with the uh, the album artwork. But you didn't. You were just saying that you didn't have anything to do with the album artwork. I had nothing to do with the album artwork. Uh, the label, it was all up to them. They said we got an idea, and I said go ahead and run with the guys. And they wanted to make it real, a kind of seventy uh, esque, uh, real hippie, and uh, real non linear. You know, there's not not really a picture of me or anything on there. Just put the record out there. And uh, kind of quirky, like the Andy Warhol painting. And I went along with that. I thought it was a great idea. I wanted the label to be involved. It's a family. And I wanted them to feel like they were a big part of it. And listen, that record's done very well for them. We're good enough to where they want to do another solo record. So I'm happy with the way it turned out. And it went in a nice direction. And you listen to those songs, it's pretty strong. It's all analog recording. Everything was done on pinch tape. We bashed those songs up live in the studio. Not a lot of overdubs. And that's why the record sounds so good. Oh, that's in- that's incredible. Uh, Remco, do you have any other questions about that uh, that album? Because I know the, the Paul McCartney thing, right? You were going to yeah. ask? One of the songs, The, the Pain Is All On You, uh, was uh, written by uh, you, Stephen Adler, and someone named Paul McCartney. So what's that about? Uh, well, Paul's playing the piano on it. That's Paul's piano parts that he did over at Abbey Road Studios. Oh. And uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful piano playing, and I, and I wanted to make sure he got his credit on there. Uh, all the lyrics and the melody lines and everything was pretty much written by me. Obviously, Stephen came up with the drum beat and playing drums on it. And uh, it's only fitting that if you're playing a record with an artist and you give and you give it those iconic performances, you should be credited as a writer on it. And without that piano part, that song doesn't. It's not as strong. So uh, Paul got his credit on it. He's I'm sure he's happy about it. He, He's not, he doesn't need the money, that's for sure. But everybody's credited on the songwriting on that, and that's the way it should go for any artist. You play on the record with somebody, and you give your own original guitar parts or, or bass parts or, or drum parts on there, and it really helps the song and brings it to, takes it to the next level. I feel as an artist, you should be credited. The hip-hop yeah. guys do it. Why shouldn't we? You're right. That's actually, that's a very good uh, analogy. I, I like that. That's funny. Um, we're going to ask you another uh, fan question. Uh, this is from Young Swedish Vinyl. So he's from Sweden, this guy from uh, my GNR forum. Uh, so when you were you know, with Adam's Appetite, whether it was the beginning or even currently you know like maybe the last few years before they had broken up uh did adler ever say to you in private you know talk about the reunion or was all just about that band uh and if you thought it would ever happen Uh, how about every single night we when i lived at steven adler's house all we talked about well first of all every day i'd get up in the morning it'd be cartoons on nice american uh, (laughs) american dad and uh uh, family Family, shows and family uh, uh, family guy and uh, Simpsons, that's all he watches on TV, nothing else at nice. all. He loves cartoons. And we would sit and pray at nighttime about the reunion 
all the time. He all he wanted to do was get back with his brothers. He loved Slash so much, loved Axel. And I just I tell him on interviews, don't talk about, it. don't say a lot of stuff because you don't want to piss off the gang. You know, show them that you those wounds that you've harvested for so many years have healed, and maybe you'll get a chance one day. And uh, Guns N' Roses was playing a gig in Las Vegas. That's where Stephen was living at the time when we first got together. And Stephen says, I'm going to go see him. I said, man, it's a great idea. Go to the show, hang out, and have a good time. Maybe get a chance to see the guys and give, give Axel a hug and tell him how much you love him and thanks for the opportunities that he's provided for you through your life. And he went to the show that night, and all the fans were coming up to him and stopping him and getting autographs and pictures. And uh, Dell, Axel's guy, seen it. Came out there and says, "Hey, Stephen, you're you're, uh, you're not making Axel comfortable. Maybe it's better if you just go home, you know, and we'll see you later on." So, so Stephen left the show, did not watch the show, and went home. And he was crying. He was really upset, uh, but not mad. I just upset because he felt here's a missed opportunity for him to get together with his guys. And as he's open, he put the keys in the front door. And he's opening the door to go in the back of his house. The phone rang, and it was Dell. And Dell says, "I just talked to Axel." Please come back. We want to spend some time with you. And Stephen turned around and went back to the venue. That night they went out. They hung out at the bowling alley, had, had a couple of cocktails, uh, threw some bowling balls, had a great time. And that was the catalyst to, 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 for them guys to heal and for Stephen to maybe one day be back in the fold one day playing some shows with them. And lo and behold, uh, six years later or five years later, he got the telephone call from Slash saying, hey, bro, we're playing out in Cincinnati. We want to fly you out and come up and play a couple songs. What was it all these years? I mean, if Was it just his battle with sobriety? Was it something on Axel's end, something that wasn't said that may not? Again, you know, I, I appreciate all your honesty with this. So you can always say pass. I, you know, I, we can't talk about this. So I just want to preface, you know, say that again. But what do you think was the crux of it all? Because everyone who knows Stephen, including you, uh, and hopefully one day I'll have the pleasure of, you know, whether meeting him in person or speaking to him on the phone, says he's the sweetest, nicest guy. And I, you know, I understand addiction as well. You know, I'm kind of like you. I'm not, a, you know, I haven't drank in two and a half years. Uh, you know, yeah, I've done my, my fair share of pot, but nothing hard. But I understand the, you know, the, the disease of addiction, you know, and how hard that could be, even though you have the best of intentions when you're fighting it, maybe how hard it is for others to deal with it. So there's so many variables there. So, in your opinion, what do you think was preventing this for so long? And maybe still is preventing it. Uh, as my grandfather would say years ago, son, it takes time for all wounds to heal. And uh, there was a lot of water underneath the bridge. I think that when he went out that night to hang out with Axel, it was a good thing. Dell's always been a wonderful guy. Steven loves the whole camp. He loves Fernando, the manager. He really likes the whole team. He, he loves the whole legacy, and he respects it. But he's very opinionated. He said some things in interviews because he was frustrated. And it probably got back to the camp and it, and it, and it ruffled a little bit of their, their peacock feathers. But after a while, the wounds healed. And it was only fitting to get Stephen to come on out there and, and see how it worked doing a couple songs. And he did the Cincinnati gig, and it was great. And he called me that night. And he says, yeah, we played a gig, Chippy. It was so fantastic. I just loved it. <laughs> and, and Slash just asked me to get on his bus and go to the next gig with him to Nashville or wherever it was. And mm -hmm. I said, well, what are you doing right now? He goes, I'm, I'm, I'm smoking pot. I go, well, put the fucking pot out right now, okay? So don't get anybody mad at you. Go to the next city, play the show, have a good time, and don't bother anybody. Stay, just play the shows, 
and keep out of the way. And he, and, he, and I think he did. I wasn't there for the show, but I heard it was terrific. Well attended. You know, before that, they played two shows here at Soldier Field, and that's 65,000 people. And most bands, if you're lucky, you play there once in your whole lifetime. They did two nights in a row. I've seen Pink Floyd there on the, on the Pigs tour, and they played one night. So Guns N' Roses came, and they played two nights completely sold out, Soldier Field. That was a, that was a good starting point for them. And those two shows that Stephen did with them, I, I thought he left an indelible mark, and they were happy. But he wanted to play more than two songs, and he stood on the side of the stage watching Frank play those songs. And Frank told him, bro, if they tell me, you can come up and do as many songs on the appetite as you want to do. But, you know, this way I was told you're going to play two songs, and that's it. And, uh, you know, maybe when you work your way up, you know, if these, if these shows work out well, maybe it'll increase to three or four songs a set. But Stephen just didn't have the patience. When he went to South America to play with Guns N' Roses, he played one or two songs, and it just wasn't enough. He was frustrated flying all that way there to just play two songs was not enough for him. And I think that he cleansed his soul. He, he, he discovered serendipity when he was out with Guns N' Roses, a moment of clarity. And he says, I got a chance to play a couple songs with my guys again and, and hang out with the team. And if they want me for more songs, I'm willing to do that. But just two is not, two is not enough. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, yeah, a couple thing, in, things in there. You know, I mentioned, uh, and I know you've mentioned uh, pot before, and you have that, that uh, one of my favorite quotes ever, you've smoked more pot than Pablo Escobar. Uh, and pop, yeah, uh, you know, pot it could be a big deal and not a big deal, depending upon, you know, because that famous, uh, also a famous line from uh, Half Baked with Bob Saget. Marijuana is not a drug. I used to suck dick for coke. I seen them. I don't know if you ever saw that uh, Dave Chappelle movie with Bob Saget. Of uh, course. But, uh, but uh, good. Otherwise, I would, that just would have sounded really weird out of context. <laughs> uh, then for someone like him who has struggled, and there were rumors that, you know, um, we found out because I interviewed uh, Alan Niven that Izzy was at a sound check, but something went wrong. You know, and there, of course, the way the GNR universe is, they speculate maybe, oh, is it Steven's fault? Is it something with the money? They're always making all these accusations. And I mean, that's I guess that's what fans do, whether it's in music or sports. Everyone's up being a Monday morning quarterback. Well, there's, there's some things I can talk about with Guns N' Roses where I don't feel I'm out of line. Like I say, I respect the legacy of those of, of all the guys individually, and this is some things I uh, probably are, are off limits, and I won't talk about them. Uh, but obviously, you know, it had, it had to do with probably finances because you know they're making a Prince truck full of money on there, and everybody wants to get paid fairly. Uh, but it's speculation right there, and I'm not in the band. Uh, however, I really believe that one day those guys could all get together and do this one more time. And I don't want to do anything that's going to deter from that. Uh, I'm hoping, just like the rest of the fans, the millions of fans out there, that one day they'll all be able to get on the same page and go out and do a run together, whether it's a short North American run or going over to Europe and get a, get a chance to play those iconic songs from Appetite for Destruction and maybe some stuff off Lies and a few off Use Your Illusion. And I think the fans would be blown away by something like that. But that's down the line right now. Guns N' Roses back out. I've been out with uh, Dizzy, and I don't ask him any questions about Guns N' Roses. It's none of my business. If he wants to share something with me, that's great. All I know is I have nothing but respect for that band, and I'm glad they're out there doing it because it's a great shot in the arm for all of us rock and roll bands. No, absolutely. But um, with that, Steven Sill is in a, seems to be in a good place, though, and my point being, you know, some people might look at Pod as like, okay, you're not sober. 
uh, but people can also look at it, you know, you're smoking cigarettes, you're not sober, or you're you're eating bad food for you, you're not sober. So I'm just wondering, is Stephen in a, you know, because he's going to be, you know, ramping up to do this Australian tour and uh, a new band that we don't even know about yet. Uh, he seems to be, and I guess, you know, if you want to confirm, I'm trying to like think of the best way to phrase it. Uh, he's in a good place health-wise. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with him. They called me on to do this, uh, to, to do the revamping of Adler's Appetite. I was one of the first calls. Jamie called me, and I uh, politely declined. Okay. Uh, because enough enough has been taken off since I've taken over lead vocal duties and, and Tony Fennell joined our band. We've, we've been playing great shows, and we've got a record deal, and we're touring around the country. And, I, I, and I'm fronting the band right now. Yes. And I'm not smoking pot. And I, I love smoking. I really do. I love puffing once in a while. But I've, I've curtailed everything. I've sacrificed it because, uh, as my grandfather would say once again, uh, a, a little discipline never hurt anybody. And I want to be able to remember the words and <laughs> sing these songs every single night well so that the experience for the fans is, is just as strong as it is for our band. So... I think Steven's in a good place right now to answer your question, and I don't think he's partying a lot. And I, I really believe that uh, the band he's got right now, I can't mention who's in the band, but sure. he's, got a, he's got a strong band that he's, put a, that he's surrounded himself with, and I think they'll do very well. You know, we did have a chance to go out. Steven had a chance to go out with Live Nations and do a long run with us, and it was a good three-month tour, and uh, Steven politely declined. It was too long for him which was sad because, boy, it would have been nice for him and I to get out there. I could have went up on stage every night and sat in with the band in a song or two. The fans would have loved it. Uh, but he, I think he just wants to do weekend warrior stuff, and, and he wants, doesn't want to do clubs. He doesn't want to do anything but, you know, uh, arenas and, and, and shed gigs. And those are hard to get. They're hard to find. You know, he's going to have to get on a tour with, where he's opening for a big national act to get that because there's, uh, we're at a time right now where there's too much product, not enough demand. Bands are already out there. Those festivals are getting taken up real fast and eaten up by all the other, other bands. Yeah. So unless you're going to take a chance and go out there and play for less money, you're not going to get those big tours. And this Live Nation tour would have been great for Steven, but I don't think he really needs it. I think if he goes out there and plays with his new band, which, like, like I said, he's surrounding himself with, a, with some pretty good guys that people are going to know about when they announce it, I think uh, the fans will be pleasantly surprised. And uh, they'll go out and do this tour, and we'll see how it works out from there. And he'll, maybe you'll see him out there again. Uh, this will be the, the start of him where the Guns N' Roses guy see. Hey, he's out there. He's playing shows. He's doing real well. The, uh, the reports have been terrific. He's, he's on a straight and narrow. It's time to pull the string, guys, and let's go out and get Izzy again and Steven and do an Appetite for Destruction tour. I'm speculating right now, but that's the way I look at things because that's the next level for them. Because the, right now, Guns N' Roses is absolutely terrific. They sound great, better than ever. But I think the fans want to see those five cats on stage again. Yeah, no, right on. And uh, so what was the last contact you had? Like, what was your relationship with Izzy, if you had one? You know, since he's, it was just his birthday uh, uh, yesterday as we we're recording this. Yeah, I wish him a happy birthday. Um, I haven't talked to, uh, to Izzy since uh, 2007. Okay. Uh, Guns N' Roses had their 20th anniversary, and they played the Key Club. And we had rehearsals for it with Adler's Appetite. And Duff came down and Izzy came down. They looked great. And Duff picked up the guitar. And our first song we played together was It's So Easy. Duff was singing. That sounded great. And I, was, and I remember showing the guys chords. I'm going, yeah, it goes to G. Are you sure, Chip? I go, 
guys, I've been studying your stuff for, for the last six years playing it. I'm positive. I was actually helping them with their own songs. Uh, and that, that uh, evening, Izzy got on the phone and told the production guy, yeah, keep the bass amp up on stage. So they, uh, so in other words, they were, uh, they were happy with my rehearsal with them and they were going to let me play with them. So that night we got to the show and everybody was there. Gilby showed up there and Slash was there. The whole guns and everybody was there except for Axel. Hmm, and we did, usually like that, and, yeah. And we were so excited. We're going to go up. And the place is completely jam packed. So much trim in there, you couldn't squeeze a mouse in that place. <laughs> and, and we went up on stage. We with it so easy, and it was great. And then Duff came up on stage. We did Paradise City, and uh, and we did Welcome to the Jungle. And Izzy, it was me, Izzy, Duff, Stephen. Uh, and the singer and uh, Michael Thomas and Faster Pussycat was playing the other guitar. Cool. And Slash didn't come up. He stood inside the stage and watching. He was beaming, smiling. He was happy. And uh, I, I heard later on the reason he didn't come up is that he didn't want to piss off Axel on the 20th anniversary, having all the Guns N' Roses up there except a different singer. And I get it. And Slash is a smart guy. And But it was a uh, all-around successful evening for everybody. And that's the last time I spoke with Izzy personally. Super charming guy, great storyteller, uh, absolutely love him to death. And, uh, and I hope that one day those guys can bury the hatchet and get back together because, listen, they wrote some great songs together, and they're timeless, and they're played every single day. And they don't have to get back together, but if they did, they would do it for the fans. We got to get enough's enough to open up for GNR. They have such a, they had such an array of opening bands during this lifetime. You know, a lot of younger acts. So I would like to see as this continues. I know they have the, the festival dates this summer, you know, to to rekindle, especially someone like you who's been friends with a lot of these guys for decades and seems to be, you know, you are who I thought you are uh, were being such a, a positive person, always doing peace. You know, your symbol is peace, and you you, you bring that. You know, it's very palpable through uh you know through the phone. So it's just uh it's pretty amazing that. You know, like you said bef- before, you know, all these years later in 2018, how you guys are still doing it. You know, GNR still doing it. You're still doing it and, not, and having success. So it's it really is a testament to not just your your music, but who you are as a person because you couldn't survive. You know? uh, well, the, uh, I'm definitely blessed. The good Lord works in mysterious ways. I, you know, you would have told me back in uh, 1984 that I'll have enough stuff still together in 2018. Uh, I, not that I would question it, but. The average life expectancy of any band is, you know, four or five years. So to keep going is, is really a blessing. And listen, I love to play shows at GNR, and they don't, certainly don't need enough enough on the bill. But we do a great job. The fans would love it. We'd warm them up. Absolutely. It'd be great. Um, but I see that uh, Guns N' Roses is going out, and they're bringing out a band from Michigan out here called Gretna Van Fleet. Yeah. A bunch of young guys that sound like Led Zeppelin. And I see that. That makes me happy that there there's bands out there that, Guns N' Roses is welcoming with open arms and embracing. And it's good for rock and roll. It's good for every single one of us. I look at it positive. And it's, it's only fitting that Guns N' Roses is out there looking at the newer bands out there and giving them a chance and giving them a break. It's going to be good for the Gretna Van Fleet, that's for sure, because those young kids are terrific. And I, I always said you won't, uh, that band won't get, they won't break as a band until you find a lead singer who's 18 years old in a hotel room with a, uh, 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 an ounce of cocaine and a couple of hookers, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong here. Uh, Guns N' Roses taking you on tour. That's that's a nice notch in your belt loop. Oh yeah, it was, I got the same feel when we interviewed uh, Tyler Bryant from Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown. You know, another young band I would not have known about most likely. 
unless uh, it wasn't for for Guns N' Roses. But that's what I like seeing these, you know, these classic rocker guys, for lack of a better now uh, phrase or whatever. Uh, you know, playing music together after all these years, you can kind of imagine everything that they've been through, you know, and, and now being family guys, and not the show, but actually like being a family person. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I think that's what brings joy to a lot of fans and just knowing what every everyone has been through and they're here and they're just giving back and they're playing not just for the fans, but they seem to be playing for themselves as well, which is great. Yes, the money well, is they, nice. They <laughs> And they certainly are. In 2010, Enough's Enough played Donington Download, and uh, we opened for we opened for Slash and uh, sure, yeah. Miles Miles Kennedy and Conspirators, and they were absolutely tore the house down. They were absolutely fantastic. They played in the afternoon. Uh, there was 90,000 people there. Miles Kennedy, quintessential singer, came out. He brought it. They and they did. They mixed it up with a lot of the, the solo stuff, the Slash records along with uh, some of the Guns N' Roses hits. The fans absolutely loved it. And here they are now, eight years later, they're going back in the studio, going to do another solo record, another, well, don't want to call it a slash solo record because all the guys are contributing. Todd Dammit's in the band, of course. Sure. Great, great singer. And they got, they got a terrific unit, and they're going to stay busy. But I think their focus right now is to make this great record, and then right after that, they'll go out and do the uh, European tour, Guns N' Roses, playing... Huge places to massive audiences. And then Slash is one of the hardest working guys in rock. He'll go right back out with uh, the conspirators, and they'll go out and they'll support that record. I think it's great. And uh, uh, Duff, you said Duff is doing a solo record. He might be doing another Loaded record, or maybe he's doing something with uh, ACDC because the rumor has it that Axl Rose is going to be singing on the new ACDC stuff. Right. And listen, how many guys do you know out there that can sing in Guns N' Roses and do ACDC at the same time? That guy is a—he's an alien. What a great singer! He does it as well as anybody knows. A lot of people out there that weren't sure about how they would come off, and it—and he—he it, passed with flying colors. No, I—I I, I was fortunate enough to see uh, Axel DC uh, at Madison Square Garden, and it just blew me away. I just couldn't. It was my first AC/DC show, uh, wow. and you know, I obviously would have loved to have seen Bon and Brian, but. I was not disappointed. I was like, wow, this just breathes new life into this music I've been hearing on the radio and on my albums all these years. This is just, this is insanity to me. Uh, but that's, yeah. but that's, uh, oh, I guess I'll ask you this. You foresee any, you know, because you have your prediction or hope, you know, maybe the five guys will reunite at some point. But do you think there'll ever be new music from these guys ever or just well, touring? You know, I'm, I'm sure they probably have discussed it, but. Why do they need to do that? They got enough of uh, catalog material to go for the next five years. They can still keep touring. There's those songs sure. are iconic. How many smash hits are in there? They don't need to do another record. They don't. You know, I, I wouldn't need to do it. I think that nowadays, with the advent of the social media and the internet, uh, a band that, that big really doesn't need to do another record. If they did, it'd be great because movies, soundtracks, TV shows, commercials—they can license that stuff forever. But those songs are so strong right now. That band is one of a kind. One out of every five, ten million bands are get a chance to be that. I can't, I, even more than that, how many bands are that big where they can get away with just like doing the catalog? It's such a strong, iconic group that I don't think they really need to do it right now. However, you know, you can't predict what Guns N' Roses is going to do. Never and I'm it. sure they got plenty of material. Slash is always right, and Axel's got 
that Chinese Democracy record, very underrated, okay? I agree. There's some great songs on that album. The production's ridiculous. So strong and great playing on there. Um, you know, that's a, that's a crapshoot right there. I'm sure that they've discussed it, but they're not going to talk about it because none of those guys, they're smart enough to know, unlike me, to not do any interviews at all, let the music do the talking. That's the most important thing. And if I was as big as Guns N' Roses, I probably wouldn't be doing many interviews as well. Uh, but it's nice to talk to the fans, let everybody know what's going on. It's very important. With, with the advent of social media, you reach millions of people at, at the click of a button. So uh, anything is possible. Uh, only time will tell, my friends. But um, if I'm managing the band, I'm saying, guys, let's just keep, continue to keep doing what we're doing. Let this choo-choo train keep going on our tracks because – uh, sales have proven to me that, uh, that we don't need a new record right now, that the mu- music we already have out there is sufficient enough. Right on. Uh, but in, in the meantime, I love the fact that you're very social, you know, you're active on Twitter, the fact that you are so uh, personable in, in email and in, in getting back to me and calling my cell, you know, hey, this is Brandon, you know, I was like, whoa, it's Chip's enough calling me as I, of course, I let everything off with. So, uh, I mean, Chip, I can't thank you enough for your, your time. So, you know, you, we have a lot of new things to look forward to. You know, we don't know. We could speculate about GNR. But uh, as you mentioned, uh, possible new solo record, right? And uh, new Enough's Enough? Like, what do we... Brand new brand new Enough's Enough record, Brandon. I'm really excited about it. Awesome. You know, picture David Bowie and the Beatles fighting in an alley. <laughs> cheap trick coming in and breaking it up, okay? I Just, like that. Uh, solid as a rock album. We produced it along with a guy named Rob Posen, who uh, works with a lot of punk rock bands. So uh, a real throwback to the 70s. Uh, comes out in August on, on Frontiers Records. Look for us on tour. We, we go out in September, and it'll be uh, Jack Russell's Great White, Bullet Boys, Enough's Enough, and another band to be determined. And we'll be playing House of Blueses and uh, Paramount Theaters. Great venues for two and a half months taking it to the streets. And, of course, there'll be some videos we'll be putting out very soon. And we'll be hitting it on social media, Enough's Enough, Twitter, Enough's Enough, Facebook. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the fans out there. Bring your peace signs and paisleys. It's going to be like an indoor mini Woodstock without the mud. No, I love it. I love it. You're the only one who can get away with the, uh, the big glasses and that hat and still look so badass after all these years. You have one of the most iconic looks in, in rock, I love it. And uh, so I'm assuming when you do go on tour, uh, you'll make stops in, in New York, in New York, in, in Long Island? Because like, I, yeah, I, I want to see you. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be a whole North American tour. And then we might be going back out to Europe at the end of the year. We just came back from Europe. We did Hard Rock Hell and a bunch of shows. But we just played a show last week with uh, Black Star Riders. Nice. Really hit it off with those cats. What a great band. And I, they, they may take us out with them over in Europe sometime this year. It'll be sometime in the fall. So, you know, just check us out on, uh, on, on our social media, and you'll see exactly what we're doing. And I can't thank the fans enough, uh, from Enough's Enough that have been following us for years. It uh, means so much to us. The band is on fire right now. Come out and see the live show, and I, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. band's better than ever right now. I can't wait, and especially because if, if it's around September, I think we're close. Our birthdays are close. Mine's September 8th. What is yours, the 10th? Uh, September 10th. Yeah, all right. So I'm September 8th. So we'll, we'll, when uh, you eventually make it to New York City, we'll have like a belated, uh, well, since I don't drink, uh, we'll have a belated water together or something like that. 
Yeah, we'll share something, okay? That'll be determined later on. (laughs) (laughs) I like that answer. And especially, uh, you know, because you mentioned going over to Europe. I told you, I mean, we're on the the phone with one of your fans from Europe. We have a ton of listeners all over the the world, which I'm really just, you know, blessed to have all through the the GNR universe somehow and and connect to bands and people like you. And uh, I wasn't going to ask this dumb question, but, you know, maybe I always end everything and start everything awkward. Why why not? Uh, Diesel Daisy from the UK, he just asks, what happens when chips are simply not enough? Uh, you eat more chips. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I guess I, I had to. I was like, with that obnoxious question. So good job, Diesel. I asked your dumb question. So uh, so do you have anything else, uh, Remco, you would like to, to, to ask Mr. Mr. Zenuff? No, just um, that he's always welcome in, uh, in Amsterdam, of course. And the Melkweg is waiting for him, uh, whether it's uh, solo or with enough's enough. Uh, Remco, I appreciate you being on the phone all this time with us and from the from uh, the Netherlands. Yeah. Uh, we absolutely hail your country. Uh, everything, your music, your food, your wine, your women, your red light district. <laughs> it's all wonderful. Great love to coffee shops. Shout out to the guys at the greenhouse and the bulldog. Great place to go to if anybody gets a chance to go out there. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to show up at, uh, out somewhere, uh, maybe at the Melik Bag or the Paradiso and play a show for you. Also want to say thanks to the guys in the UK for uh, all your questions. I really appreciate that. And uh, last but not least, Sweden, love your wine and women. Hope to come out there sometime this year as well and support the new Enough's Enough album. God bless you all. And I wish you well. Thank you so much for for taking the time. This is so cool. I I, I hope to you know one day uh, you know meet you, shake your hand, and and share whatever you want to share uh, in the future. Um, and this was just a pleasure. And just uh, keep kicking ass and and, and go and go enjoy uh, your chicken, which I'm sure is waiting for you. Oh, I appreciate that, gentlemen. Have a wonderful week and a great year. Okay, may the best thing that happened to you last year be the worst thing that happens to you this year. I like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that chip if it's, if that's okay. You got it, my friend. Awesome. We'll, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brandon. God bless you guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. So that was uh, that was something else. I really didn't expect, uh, Remco, what to get from Chip at the beginning. I know, you know, sometimes when I ask these guys to kind of go over their history and do a kind of an autobiography of themselves, I don't know how many times they've done that throughout their career, but maybe not to my specific audience. He's like, all right, he's kind of just going through it and through it. And then once we started with the GNR stuff, I mean, he really took off with the Jamie Adler's thing. Uh, of course, with Steven's feelings. Um, what, what's your what was your take on that? There was a lot of, uh, over there because he um, he mentioned a lot of um, uh, situation in history, but also the the more recent parts where um, we didn't really know if he'd be in contact with uh, Stephen or uh, or Jamie, for instance. But, um, yeah, he had a pretty clear opinion uh, as well about uh, the thing Jamie did and uh, the comments he made. Um, and, of course, the, the, the phone call he got from, uh, from Stephen from uh, Slash's bus. So that's, uh, yeah, wow. Yeah, I feel like he, he filled in a lot of holes that were missing in, in parts of stories yeah. that we all know. So that's what... Uh, ironic and funny and what I try to do with this podcast these uh, other characters that may not be you know uh, I mean they're related to GNR in some way but they're not officially in the band like Chip but are key players in the story of Guns N' Roses and it's uh, 
you know, just just wow. So I, I hope to have uh, Chip on again. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll reach out to him again after the the solo record comes out. Oh, excuse me, when the new Enough's Enough comes out, uh, we'll see what happens with that new solo record. Um, that's just fun because he said like it's just funny how we brought that up when he just got a call about it. You know, a few weeks ago. Yeah. So, so a lot of things just coming all full circle and just a lot to a lot to digest. A lot. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and his solo album was funny because he he started to mention people who. Um, yeah, who played on it or who wrote with him and he just started to list and the list went on and on and on and then he he actually forgot Paul McCartney. So and he didn't <laughs> even mention Trent Reznor. So that's yeah, it's it's, it's pretty amazing uh, stuff. And then when you when you look at the Enough's Enough um, records, there's and he he said I'm like this huge uh, cheap trick fan. Like all those cheap trick people who are on his uh, albums and on his, uh, who played with him and he played with them. So, yeah, it's pretty cool um, how he talks about it, but I think it's uh, it's a bit more special than he just, yeah, he, yeah. he uh, claims it to be. Yeah, he was very humble. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, like he said, like, I know we were very successful, but he's still very humble and he also, not in denial, he understands you know, GNR is what they are, this massive band. And unless you are a fan of that era, you may not know enough's enough. Uh, but yeah. the fact, also, I thought it was interesting at the beginning when he's like saw their record compared to Appetite. He's like, oh, we can compete with this. You know, and it just, you never know what that mindset is like at that time and just where your your lives go after that. So it's just uh, very cool. Very, very happy to uh, have him on the phone calling from Chicago. Very happy to have you, uh, Remco, from. From the Netherlands, uh, nice yeah. to have our, our our first official conversation uh, via Chips Enough, uh, and it just uh, and that's how it happens. Um, and I'm talking to now everybody, uh, all the listeners. You know, I've had, you know, of course, uh, listeners from you know I had Ray on, I had uh, from Scotland, I had Sir Kev from, from Ireland. You know, I want to involve because I'm just a fan. I just happen to work in radio, who happens to have a podcast. I don't get paid for it. Um, you know, if you want to be a part of this podcast, whether, you know, a future co-host, you know, if you see a certain, you know, a guest announcement, uh, like for instance, uh, I believe the next episode is going to be, uh, Jack Lou, the, the first GNR photographer. But if I ever make an announcement and you're like, you're such a huge fan, you can always reach out to me and inquire. But in the case of Remco, when you inbox me some questions, I'm like, you know what? You seem to know a lot more about ship. I think this will be a very cool opportunity, not just for, you know, I guess for you, uh, but for me and I think for the show and, and the listeners to kind of, you know, I, I, my main focus is to have a cool broadcast. So I think having uh, somebody from the Netherlands on and you saw how uh, Chip was so, he loves your country. Like and he, yeah, he got yeah, a yeah. kick out of it, you know, that you were on the, on, on, uh, the phone as well. So that was pretty uh, badass. So. Of course, Unless... she was talking about uh, the quality time in in Amsterdam, and we all know what that means. Oh yeah, the, yeah. Was... Those uh, that were the, the smoking uh, a pancake was... or or the uh, the red light district, everything like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everything. I will have to make my way there to a short uh, taking the agriculture or you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely the windmills and all. You have to yes, visit the windmills. One, yeah. yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. use that as code word now, <laughs> just between us and everyone listening. Windmills. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, unless you have anything else to to share, Remco, this was pretty uh, pretty rad. Um, and, and thank you for everyone uh, tuning into episode fifty seven of the AFD show. A uh, lot more to get to. Uh, more guests, as I mentioned, Jack Lou, 
uh, on the way. You know, uh, I'm still back and forth with uh, Roy Orbison Jr., who I know is uh, super busy. He actually, you know, when I wished um, Izzy a happy birthday, I found, you know, I'm looking for pictures for him, and I, I saw a very cool a cover of him, of Slash and, uh, and Izzy, and at the top it had, like, the death of Roy Orbison. So I tagged uh, Junior in there. I'm like, did you ever see this? And he, he retweeted it, and he actually inboxed me with a photo of his... Uh, his young son, I believe, wearing a young, uh, wearing a Guns N' Roses T-shirt, like a you know onesie for like an infant. Oh, cool! So you know he's a, he's a big GNR fan, so I can't wait to talk to to Roy in the future. And I have no idea where else this podcast is going to go. Never thought I would do fifty-seven episodes. Never thought thought I would talk to Chips enough. Never thought I would be on the phone with somebody from the Netherlands. So <laughs> who knows? It's everyone listening that keeps it going, uh, and and just. Support. That's how this is going to keep going. So uh, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash the AFD show, uh, Twitter at uh, the AFD show. Uh, subscribe and follow and leave a comment on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, and of course, alternativenation.net featured on there as well. So uh, until the next one, well, when will you see it? Well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.